it continues to speak volumes of each person assembled here this evening that you have prioritized assemblies such as this one on Sunday afternoon, and we're thankful that each of us have been blessed with health. We're thankful we've been blessed with the opportunity to offer our heartfelt homage and obeisance to God. And we're delighted that we can open His Word, that we can sing songs of praise, and that we can pray as we've already done tonight. I hope that as you give thought to the title of the lesson, you already have some sense as to the kind of consideration that we'll be making, inasmuch as we'll give at least some reflection to the word except. When the Word of God makes use of that word, when the Holy Spirit has chosen to accompany it, what did He mean by that? You'll notice on this introductory slide, one of the first things that you and I shall appreciate is this, that every word of God is tried. That's the very presentation of Proverbs chapter 30, verses 5 and 6, and that would mean that the original choices of the words that were presented were exactly the ones the Holy Spirit saw fit to not only choose, but to preserve for your benefit and for mine, and for the truth that the Holy Spirit, in fact, has shown. You and I know quite well, as, you, as we read through the Word of God, that certain words carry a great deal of weight. Certain words carry a rather mighty motivation and thrust. I would think it fair to say that except likely falls in that category. You and I use that word quite often in our daily walk of life, and we have a pretty strong sense as to what that conveys. Tonight, why don't we apply that knowledge, make use of our appreciation in that way, and cast a spotlight upon various verses in Scripture and allow that knowledge to assist us in appreciating the teaching of the Word of God on those places. The word accept occurs 74 times in the King James Version of the Bible, and of that number, 47 of them are in the New Testament. You can immediately see then that this word occurs rather frequently, and many of them are in the Old Testament. But surely a lot of them that most rapidly come to our mind are found in the desirable and lovely pages of the New Testament. In fact, I thought I would select just a few of the 47 New Testament ones. And as we at least look at them, you're no doubt quite familiar with many of them. And as we think about them, notice how the word accept will appear, and at least it will guide us in the interpretation. In Matthew 18, verses 3 and 4, Jesus rather directly said to a group gathered on that occasion, Except ye be converted and become as little children, ye shall in no wise enter into the kingdom of heaven. The Lord used the word except. I believe you and I know well the thrust of what the Lord was saying. You see, there were those who were rather beset by the thought that greatness was needed. And yet the Lord insisted upon them, you must in humility, just as a little child, one who is submissive to authority, one who is mindful of his or her place, you must have a consideration and a disposition like that. Otherwise, you will never, ever be able to enter the kingdom. Look at the second one. In that case, John 3, verses 2 and 3. Nicodemus came to Jesus by night, and he made this statement. We know that thou art one come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Nicodemus made a statement of declaration. We understand in light of the evidence already presented relative to miracles, nobody could do what you've done unless God was with him. 
Now, the word accept, as Nicodemus used it, had the thrust of unless. It made a rather dramatic and powerful statement of an exclusive presentation. Look at the third one. This one is John 19, verse number 11. It was here, as I have asked you to notice, that Jesus, in speaking to Pilate, said, Except God had provided you with power, you would have no power over me. Isn't it interesting that governmental authority, as it rested in Pilate, a pagan heathen ruler, was such that it would not have existed were it not delegated by the God of heaven. Except was the way that Jesus phrased it, and except was the way that He presented it. Number four is this one. John 20, verse 25, Thomas made a statement. You and I remember it well. Except I see the nail prints at His side and put my fingers in it, I will not believe. You and I know what He meant by that. He stated an absolute requirement on His part, unless I see it with my own eyes, and unless I'm able to touch the very place in which those nails were driven, I will not believe. That's what Thomas said. Jesus, as you and I know, presented Himself to Thomas and allowed Thomas the opportunity to do that which he had begged for, or at least asserted. And Thomas responded like this, My Lord and my God. So far, those instances have been a rather interesting reminder of what that word accept conveys. The next one will join right in that discussion. In Acts 27, verse 31, Paul at that time was in process of making a journey, a travel toward Rome. You and I remember a great storm arose at sea. So dangerous was it that they were rather fearful that the ship would not survive. And yet Paul made this statement because some of the mariners had thought it might be in the best interest that they jump overboard and perhaps swim to shore. Paul said this, Except they stay in the boat, they will not be saved. The word except occurred again. It stated a requirement, perhaps against their best wishes and against their best judgment, they need to stay in the boat. There was an issue of judgment, responsibility, and absolute requirement. Look at the next one. In 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 3, as Paul looked down the stream of time, he made note of a variety of things that were going to transpire. There was to be a falling away from the faith, and he said that, these matters shall not be except the Son of Man. I'm sorry, except the man of sin come. There was to be an arrival of the man of sin. His appearance, his work, the nature of the influence he would bring, it had to come about before the issues of which Paul spoke could come to pass. By now, the pattern is rather evident. There's only two more I would quickly share and then we will seek to draw some additional conclusions. The first is 2 Timothy 2 verse 5. You and I understand that when an athlete competes, it is to be expected that that athlete shall be declared the victor only so long as the athlete competes according to the rules that govern the particular sport in which they're participating. If they violate the rules, even if they come out first, they will not be granted the victory. 
It shall not be tallied to them to wear the crown of triumph. Paul stated it on that occasion, Except a man strive lawfully, he shall not receive the crown. I think you and I understand well under the usual consideration of sport what that means. You need to abide by the rules. You may not always like them. You may not always suppose that they are ideal of the best, but nonetheless, those are the rules. The last one is John chapter 6, verse 53. Jesus made this statement and has troubled some throughout the ages. Except a man eat my flesh and drink my blood, he has no life in him. To eat his flesh and to drink his blood, that's rather direct. Some would claim that rather interestingly encompasses cannibalism. But at the very least, the Lord stated it not, not once, in fact, but more than once in that particular passage. Why don't we at this point draw a bit of conclusion? I realize that list is not all of the occurrences in the New Testament, but surely the idea on this page is now clear enough. The word except introduces a condition which is an absolute requirement. There are no exceptions to the exception. In other words, except identifies the condition of unless, and therefore these are matters absolutely required. And if the particular condition is not met, then the reward attached to it shall not come to pass. Except. You and I are rather accustomed to that usage many times today. No parking except for law enforcement officials. We know what that means. The only people who can park there are policemen, sheriffs, folks like that. Someone like me would not, according to the considerations of that sign, be permitted to park there. The condition has stated an exclusiveness connected to that activity. You could apply that same idea in many other ways, for the issue is clear enough, isn't it? And yet... These matters in the Word of God have brought that same idea before us. I thought it might do us well to select a few of the places wherein this word accept occurs and use our knowledge that we have now appreciated to at least think more deeply and more directly about some of them. Would you turn with me to Luke 13? In the 13th chapter of the Gospel according to Luke, the Son of God Himself uses this word accept and he does so in a way that certainly bears some careful thought on your part and mine. Beginning in verse number 1, the inspired writer recorded these words. There were present at that season some that told him of the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And Jesus answering said unto them, Suppose ye that these Galileans were sinners above all the Galileans because they suffered these things? I tell you, nay, but except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. Or those eighteen upon whom the tower of Siloam fell and slew them, think ye that they were sinners above all men that dwelt in Jerusalem? I tell you, nay, but except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. On that slide, I've invited you to consider with me a few 
of the observations that might be made from that text. And the first is this. There were some during the course of that presentation that made mention of a very intriguing set of ideas before Jesus. Did you notice them in verse 1? There were present at that season some that told him, the word him refers to Jesus, of the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. There were some folks whose blood Pilate had mixed or intermingled with their sacrifices. It was a conclusion of those people that apparently they were greater sinners than other people because that wouldn't have happened to them if something like that hadn't been true. They must have done something egregious. They must have done something overtly and noteworthily wicked because otherwise, surely Pilate could not have been brought to behave in that way by mingling their sacrifices with blood. It was in response to that that Jesus rather quickly made another observation in verse 2. Suppose ye that these Galileans were sinners above all the Galileans because they suffered such things? Jesus, in reading what was on their mind, then directly asked them, So are you saying, and is it your consideration, that they must have been more wicked sinners than the other Galileans? Because that didn't happen to the others. It is in that way, then, that we read verse 3. I tell you, no. Their conclusion was not a correct one. No, it is not the case that they were greater sinners than others, but here's the observation for you, those to whom the Lord spoke, except you repent, you'll all likewise perish. There was thus a necessity, a requirement, on the part of God that they repent. And as you appreciate, the Lord reiterated it two verses later. And in between, He made reference to another group of people in verse number 4. Or what about those 18 people who were killed when the Tower of Siloam fell on them? In that passage, Jesus makes reference to apparently a tragic event in which perhaps under some degree of construction or some degree of improvement, a tower fell and killed 18 people. You and I know today sometimes construction accidents happen. Sometimes difficulties, accidents happen, and it leads to the death of those involved in it. Jesus said, so by way of your logic, are you then supposing that those 18, that they were greater sinners than all the others that were laboring on that project? One more time, Jesus answered His own question in verse 5. No, that is not the correct conclusion. In fact, He says, nay, but except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. As you and I reflect upon that passage, you'll notice some of the bottom observations on that slide. It is here, as well as a number of other places, that we find the absolute requirement of God, except you repent. And there is no exception to that assertion. Repentance is required of each of us, of each person who would be pleasing to God, of each person who would avoid the sentence of perishing. Repentance is necessary. That may be difficult. 
it may often be a challenge because there could be that a person's quite comfortable with his or her lifestyle, and yet it is a requirement to repent. You can no doubt think of other verses, and I've asked you to note some. In Acts 17, verses 30 and 31, as Paul preached in Athens, he highlighted in that place and to those therein gathered about the nature of repentance, and he asserted it like this. The times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. That leaves nobody out. All men everywhere. It doesn't matter, male or female. It doesn't matter, young or old. Any person who would be pleasing unto God, any person who would thus remove from themselves the sentence of perishing, must in fact repent. That idea of repentance is, of course, a change of mind that results in a change of action. You'll notice here in this passage before us, the Lord has used that word accept to highlight the needfulness, yea, the requirement of heaven that that very matter take place. As you close that slide with me, I merely summarize a few other places in the New Testament wherein we see examples of a variety of people who submitted to repentance. In Acts 2.38, Jews repented. They were told to repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins. And ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And yea, about 3,000 of them did on that occasion. In Acts 8, verse 22, Samaritans were told to repent, and yea, many of them did as well. In Revelation chapter 2, verses 5 and following, we find a host of Gentiles that too were stated to need to, to in fact, repent. We see biblical evidence then that that idea of repentance for all is a matter that was brought to bear. What about another example wherein that word accept has a great deal of consideration? Matthew 18, verse number 3. We mentioned this one in passing early in the lesson this evening. The disciples on that occasion were rather concerned about who would be the greatest in the kingdom. Aren't you and I to this day still somewhat amazed at how people love to be reckoned as great? They often wish to be those of notoriety. They like to be those of fame and pomp and circumstance. They want the name and the glory for themselves. Here, as you and I noted earlier, Jesus simply said, Except ye be converted and become as little children, ye shall in no wise inherit the kingdom of heaven. The Lord, in the face of what He knew they were thinking, told them that that kind of mentality was not the thing most pleasing to God. I know that each of us are thankful for the talents and capacities that God has given us, but may we in earnestness ever employ them with an attitude of humility, never thinking of ourselves more highly than we ought, Romans 12, verse 3, never exalting ourselves above what would be appropriate, Psalm 131, verse 1, but always mindful of the very teaching in this place. My family and I have often, of course, been amazed as I know many of us have, about the behavior of a little child. They can in one moment find themselves in a scenario, and quite often they can well be led 
to recognize the need for a change in some kind of viewpoint, and they can humble themselves to that. And so very quickly, again, wrap their arms around you in love, though not a few moments ago you punished them. They submitted themselves in humility to that which was brought upon them, and they did not allow that to linger in their mind to the point that it brought about in them an attitude that was one of inappropriateness. May I say, sometimes as an adult, that could be so hard, can't it? Someone steps on my toes by having enough love and courage to tell me what I need to change, and I can so easily become bitter. I can so easily become defensive. I can so easily think rather ugly thoughts about them or about other matters connected to them. But little children don't do that, at least in so many ways. Jesus said, you, by way of accepting, need to be converted. That means to turn and become a little child. Those can be challenging things for you and me to do, and yet we should strive to appreciate in that the wholesomeness of it, the soundness of it, and yea, the exception that Jesus therein stated. You may notice at the bottom of that slide, we find in the book of 3 John, the complete record of a man named Diotrephes who himself did not behave this way. The text therein says this, He threw them or cast them out of the church by exalting himself. He wanted to be the head honcho of the church. But you see, Jesus is the head. In Colossians 1.18, there are no other matters connected to that, but he is the head, and that has not been bequeathed or delegated to you and me. When John wrote that letter that you and I call 3 John, he said, I will deal with diatrophies when I come. You and I aren't told what was shared with him when they did meet. I suspect it was not a pleasant conversation. I suspect that diatrophies had much to learn about an attitude adjustment. And I suspect that much had to be said by John and maybe even others as that particular meeting took place. You'll notice one last thing on that slide. If you and I exalt ourselves above God, we realize how awful can be the consequences of that choice. Isn't it true that, as we've said, children are often quite submissive to authority, especially if they have been taught the nature and value of that from a very early age? And yet you and I know that we must always be submissive and obedient to the God of heaven. We must submit to Him. If you and I choose not to, our eternity is not only in danger, but we may well run aground even in this life and make choices that are very hurtful for us and for those whom we love. Example number four. In John chapter 6, verse number 53, you and I looked at that earlier. Why don't we revisit it? And under the banner of our discussion of accept, why don't we use it like this? Jesus in that place had made very carefully and very directly a number of statements which captured their attention, I'm sure, and which also does you and to me even till this day. Isn't it true in John 6, verse 35, in a very plain and direct statement, Jesus said, I am 
the bread of life. May I ask, what do you do with bread? Do you set it as a token on a bookshelf? Do you use it as fuel in a car? Do you use it by some other means as, for instance, a bookend on a bookshelf? We know the answer to all that is no. What you do with bread is eat it. You consume it. You ingest it. Jesus said that again in John 6, 48. I am the bread of life. May I say then that the latter part of this chapter is a development, an extension of, and a continuation of the truth embodied in that which the Lord had begun when He said, I am the bread of life. May I point your attention then to verse number 51 and following. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. The Jews therefore strove among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except ye eat the flesh of the Son of Man, and drink his blood, ye have no life in you. Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me, and I in him. As the living Father hath sent me, and I live by the Father, so he that eateth, my, eateth me, even he shall live by me. This is that bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers did eat manna, and are dead. He that eateth of this bread shall live forever. Now that group of verses has set before us that word except. And verse 53 had put it like this. Except ye eat the flesh of the Son of Man, and drink His blood, ye have no life in you. It's clear from what the Lord had said a bit later in those verses that He had in view that which would emanate and lead to eternal life. Now you and I know quite frankly that much might be thought about the Lord's Supper in this because we have something emblematic of His body and something emblematic and representative of His blood. But I would assert that there is more than just a consideration of the Lord's Supper here. A person could take of that Lord's Supper every Sunday and still be lost. You see, that Lord's Supper is to have a deeper significance in light of the life which that person has. Didn't Paul even himself say that we must examine ourselves and take of this bread and of this blood in a way ever discerning the Lord's body? In this instance, it would surely seem that as the Lord made reference to this usage of except ye eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink the blood of the Son of Man, ye have no life in you. He had in view a life of complete dedication, a life that was a representative of that for which the Lord stood, a life of commitment. And in that commitment, that surely will include a proper taking of the Lord's Supper. But again, it would have more to say than just that. Jesus here made a statement that so troubled them 
that you and I know exactly what's going to happen a bit later. Could I jump over a few verses and ask you to notice this? Look with me to verse 66. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. This was a hard saying. This was a troubling saying. Then said Jesus unto the twelve, Will ye also go away? Then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. There were some who understood the demand of that statement except that Jesus had mentioned. You and I, as those dedicated to the Lord, can't live like the devil all week and expect on Sunday to make everything right and then repeat the whole process the next week. There is, you see, an issue connected with an ongoing commitment. Ever understanding that your life and mine is well described by verses like Galatians 2.20. Wasn't it there that Paul could say, I am crucified with Christ nevertheless. As he asserted the characteristic of that which follows. I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. When the Lord made this teaching, could we not remember the Lord's Supper hadn't been instituted at the time of John chapter 6. That was going to be a number of years into the future. The Lord here apparently was teaching more thoroughly and directly about an all-encompassing life dedicated to the teaching of the Lord, encompassing that which He taught, fully given in commitment to it, and a life responsive to that which was the will of God. As we mentioned earlier, that would include a proper taking of the Lord's Supper later when the church was established and when that Lord's Supper was a, day, a weekly institution. Surely in that light, you and I can note again the word accept. Doesn't it beg a question of you and me today? As we turn our consideration to Matthew 19, verse number 9, this will be our last consideration tonight about this word accept. It is probably a familiar one. It is one that has echoed throughout the centuries as a rather powerful and constant reminder of the usage of the word accept. So familiar is it that I'll not read beginning in verse 1 of that chapter. We may make a few comments in just a moment about some of the aspects of those verses. In fact, it begins by noting there were some Pharisees that came before Jesus and they asked of Him a question. Master, is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? That question is very direct. And that question is on point not only for those of that day, but you and I know today there are still many on whose mind that question would rest. What are the grounds for divorce? Is there any regulations concerning this? Beginning in verse number 4, Jesus said, Have you not read? And He began to take in their attention back to the scene of Genesis chapter 2 in the original creation scene wherein God brought the woman to the man, and married them. And at that time, you and I noticed that it was one woman for one man for life. That surely has much to say about the consideration of divorce. And in Matthew 19, verse number 6, in this very context, Jesus said, 
What therefore God hath joined together, let not man put us under. To the credit of those Jews, those Pharisees, they were astute enough to ask, well, if that be true, why did Moses grant a bill of divorcement? Why did he grant divorce as a possibility? Jesus rather quickly answered, because of the hardness of your heart, Moses did that, but from the very beginning it was not so. It's not as if that was ever the plan of God. But due to the hardness of the hearts of those at that time, God permitted or allowed or tolerated that to be the case for a while. But then verse number 9 comes clearly into view to you and me. Jesus stated it like this, and you note the word accept occurs in the presentation. Matthew chapter 19, verse number 9. The text reads as follows. Whosoever shall put away his wife, except it be for fornication, and shall marry another, committeth adultery. And whoso marrieth her which is put away, doth commit adultery. The word accept. Whosoever shall put away his wife, that individual who obtains a divorce without fornication on the part of the other party, is thus not allowed to marry again. That word accept has that thrust. It has the meaning of unless there, just as it did in all those other cases. In fact, you may notice, whosoever, anybody, matters not male or female, that pursues a divorce without fornication involved and proceeds to marry someone else, you'll notice that Jesus said that adultery is now taking place. And this sin of adultery, you and I note the seriousness of it in light of Galatians 5, verses 19 and following. It is there sufficient in that way to keep a person out of eternal glory. Maybe you and I can note verses 10 and following go on to help us see how the disciples perceive this. His disciples say to him, If the case of the man be so with his wife, it is not good to marry. But he said unto them, All men cannot receive this saying, save they to whom it is given. These disciples understood the exception character of that statement. And they said, Jesus, if that's the way it is... It's better not to marry. You'll notice the Lord didn't say they were wrong. He used that in the very next verse to highlight, except meant exactly what He had asserted it did. Isn't that a reminder? That's one of those places the word except has occurred. Why don't we close that slide and also recognize in it that John the Baptist found himself in a very powerful place of appreciation in light of that exception clause. John courageously approached Herod in Matthew 14 and told him, it's not lawful for you to have the woman you're with. You see, she had been taken or at least had obtained a divorce from her former husband, and it was not a lawful one. And in that way, you may recall, she ultimately was able to get John's head handed to her by virtue of his life taken from him. Let's close our lesson tonight. And let's do so with a slide that now follows. In conclusion, couldn't we say that except has had the thrust and the force of this powerful way of expressing a condition 
And unless that condition is met and satisfied, the reward, the influence, that which goes with that shall not then be received. The lesson text I ask you to notice is one we'll use to close our lesson. Jesus told Nicodemus, Except a man be born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Except. There is an identical and absolute requirement of being born again by water and Spirit. And if that doesn't take place, it is not possible for that individual to be the recipient of and a member of the kingdom of God. As that statement is made, isn't it a reminder, isn't it a powerful presentation about the truth connected to, on one hand, water, a la baptism, and on the other, what the Spirit has taught relative to the other issues connected to the gospel plan of salvation, all having been bequeathed and all having been revealed by the Holy Spirit Himself. As we close this lesson tonight, aren't we thankful for the Bible's clearness in teaching on matters like except? As we close this slide, and as we close this particular lesson, could I remind you that there are no exceptions to the exceptions. For the Word of God would have to be the ones to reveal them, and no exceptions to those exceptions have been revealed. Tonight, as you and I think about ourselves, where are you and I in our walk of faith? Is it strong? Is it noteworthy? Is it respectful of the exceptions of the Word of God? May it ever be. And may we also be thankful for those presentations. If there be someone in this assembly who at this time, all is not well with your soul, we want you to know that we in love would wish better things for you and we would wish to be a part of assisting you tonight if that would be the wish of your heart. If you've never become a Christian, why not tonight in faith, in repentance, in confession, in baptism, if you have known the way of Christ... Maybe the law of Christ was everything to you at some point under the banner of texts like Galatians 6 verse 2. But maybe over the course of time, your faith has grown weaker. The light and the flame of encouragement has dimmed. Jesus would wish to light that flame again so that just as Matthew 5 16 would say, your life could one more time be a powerful presentation to those around you of a life devoted to the one who died for you. If we could help you tonight by way of observing that repentance and confession, we'd be happy to help. Gary has chosen a song of encouragement. If we could help anyone tonight, we would invite you to come while together we stand and while we sing.